go. Sniper arrow on the guard. It strikes true. The guard drops. I move to the doorway. Detect traps. None detected. I enter. Left flank. Right. One hobgoblin facing east. Backstab. Double damage. Critical hit. He's dead. Footsteps behind the door to the north. I notch two arrows. I climb the walls to get above the door. Five goblins enter from the north. I fire. Both arrows hit. Cleave. You kill one and wound another. I drop on the last one and grapple. You got hold of him. This one is for Crouton. With his dying breath, he utters, The Dark Lord. We'll kill you all. Wait, these things can talk? I want two taken alive. I want to try something. This is Siskoid hosting another episode of the Fire and Water Podcast Network presents Let's Roll, the show where we discuss various role-playing games with guests and fellow tabletop gamers. And in this episode, we go back to episode two where we discussed a little thing called Shift World which we played with GURPS. That campaign started out in the Old West, but then migrated to GURPS Auto Duel. So I've invited the same two players to talk about that phase of the story with me, Daniel Poitouellet. Hello, tabletop fans. And Alexandre Bebert, or just Beb Hébert. Hi, Beb. Hi, everyone. So you may remember them at, as Ace and Willie J. Spade. They played Brothers in the Old West. Very quick recap of what happened last time. Shift World was this game where it was possible that at some point, and it did happen, the characters would find themselves in another setting and then have both set of memories, basically. The world changed around them, but they were the only ones aware of the shift. Was that a good enough of a recap? Yeah. I, I mean, unless you want us to go into another 30-minute detail of what Shift World is, yes, that's a good recap. <laughs> yeah, so basically the idea was to use as much of my GURPS book collection as possible. And to do that, we just couldn't stay in the one setting for too long. So after a few sessions in the Old West, uh, and we did mention last time that I felt that we could continue in the Old West almost indefinitely because there was such a, a good base in terms of the characters and the world that we created in this town called Paradise in Wyoming somewhere. Uh, but then, I mean, we had committed, or at least I think we had committed to doing this. And at some point, zap, your cowboys are galloping along and suddenly there's a shift and your characters suddenly find themselves from the 19th century uh, Old West frontier to a 21st century post-apocalypse basically. We were talking about this just before, and Bebert, you seem to think this was not announced well, <laughs> prior. Well, you know, you know, that's me being a clueless gamer, all right? Probably I was so into the whole West and so into the story that I totally forgot the whole concept. And, and that's just me, because, you know, I'm forgetting main parts of my life, basically, on a daily basis. I Actually, what are we doing right now? It's it's a podcast, right? Yes. Oh, so okay, okay. So you, so yeah. You can take it's, off your shirt if you like. It's. <laughs> but but yeah, but but I had a feeling once it was done, that first shift was done, it was totally new to me. But probably I was just so much into it, it just was seamless. What do you think? Put is that? <laughs> were you aware? Well, if I'm remembering correctly. Let's roll this, the show where we ask the hard questions like, do you remember what you did 20 years ago? Uh, <laughs> right. If I remember correctly, we did know in advance that we were going to be doing shifts, but we did not know that the next shift would be auto-duel. That I'm pretty sure. No, that's true. I would have kept that closer to the vest as to be a surprise. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think maybe I didn't really consider what the shift entailed until we actually sat down 
and did the character creation for the shift. Like I remember putting a lot of investment and time into creating my character for Old West without really considering what that would mean for other settings. If this gambler of yours were to find himself in a fantasy world or in a gangster world or in, well, gangster world would seem pretty obvious, or, mm-hmm. you know, in feudal Japan or whatever it was, you, you weren't planning for that. I was yeah. not planning in advance for that, no. Luckily, it was a pretty general archetype. And I think, well, a big part of the fun of Shift World was doing the transitions. Like, I remember sitting down for the first shift and really thinking, like, this is so cool. How do I transition this skill, which seems to be really locked down into an Old West setting? How do I transition it to something that is more cyberpunky or post-apocalyptic? For me, it was very innovative as a way of playing and and like put said it's just we weren't prepared to prepare our characters for that kind of situation because we were so molded into the whole way of thinking up a character Uh, it was very cool actually switching for a old miner to a mechanic i'll give you guys credits of course because as i often say we're all improv players and uh most of the time the you know, the players are creating characters that they will enjoy playing, and it's not about the stats. And so I, I can totally believe that Put was not going at it thinking, okay, well, this is this is going to be this, and this can become that, and uh, you're not planning for the future, uh, an unknown future. You're going to react to whatever the future is. It's going to be improv, basically, rather than a planned out min-maxing, and you've heard these terms about role-playing, you know, like players who are very interested in statistics and mathematics and how to gear a character to have the maximum power, you know, down the line. Very few are my players that were ever like that. And certainly neither of you two. It's funny because in my real life, I'm super into maths and stats. Like I'll play with Excel almost every day, but when it comes to tabletop gaming, I almost don't care for them at all. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the feeling we had, uh, you know, around the table is was very organic. You know, it was natural. It was, you know, conversational more than you know, rolling the dice and thinking about stats. So, so, so the mindset was actually perfect for that kind of gaming. Yes, I wouldn't have played this with just anyone. I think the players that I wound up using had a certain personality, you know. But there are mechanics to this, or I mean, I I did create some mechanics for the shift because I wanted it to have a sort of a psychological effect. So when there is a shift, suddenly two lives become one. The life you were living, the memories you had, and then the setting changes, but it is as if it had always been that setting. And everybody else... Uh, the NPCs all react that way. They all think they've had this auto-dual life instead of that Old West life, you know, as if it always been normal and they don't remember two timelines. For you guys, you do remember two timelines. So what does this mean? And I don't have, like, I wish I had notes on this. I don't. I don't actually have notes on how to handle a shift, but based on the few little notations that I have. Basically, it was a roll against IQ. There are only four stats in GURPS, so IQ is the one. And you rolled against IQ. You had penalties and bonuses based on 
how many tech levels have been shifted, have been changed. The future is harder for a brain to take if, if it comes from the past. Like, do you understand your new universe immediately? And if it's, if you're not speaking the same language, if the technology has a big differential, like your first shift, I gave you also a penalty because it was the first time it ever happened. You're not prepared for it. So all these bonuses and minuses make up a, a number and you roll against IQ as modified. And then if you fail, well, then your character for a certain time remembers the wrong. It has not shifted, basically. Like I'm a, I'm a cowboy, but I'm seeing a motorcycle and I don't know how to interpret that. You know, it can create panic. And it has happened over the course of the campaign. This you have failed some of the roles. I think even for this shift, I think I don't remember what happened to my character, but I remember Johnny like crashed his motorcycle because of the shift, right? Right. He was on a horse. It turns yep. into a motorcycle. He crashed it into a tree. So, in other words, it was not a smooth shift for that character. Johnny being the third player who is not here with us, Etienne, uh, who played that character, the older brother. So that was the way to say, well, there is like some sort of psychic feedback to this. And that was basically it in terms of rules. And I don't have a little crib sheet. I don't have a little a table that tells you exactly what to do. I probably, probably I sort of improvise it based on the situation each time. When you're doing it, you remember basically what you want to do with it 20 years later. I really couldn't tell you but still it was very efficient because you know as uh johnny just ramped up this uh motorcycle you remember how lethal the game could be <laughs> because it, it was with the guns and now we just shift and what if everybody had just scrapped the roll and just went to the ditch and probably hurt themselves. It would have been very, very difficult just to, to get back from that. Yeah, GURPS's lethality just always keeps creeping up on us somehow, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it keeps the game fun, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember it was a stress. Every shift change when we suddenly remembered, oh, we got to roll to see if our mind actually catches up. I remember it was always a stressful, uh, fun, exciting time. It's like that uh, quantum leap moment. Oh, boy. Right. It is It is like quantum leap. Yeah. For me, as a game master, that's like a freebie. <laughs> There's like a freebie session. Because then we would go through all, you know, this happens. Then I guess we got to meet to just change the character sheet so much. We'll talk about that process in the next section. But... We, we do have to do that work and change the things that don't make sense anymore, adjust the character for the new setting. So that's going to take some time. So in terms of sessions, I've just banked another session. And then you guys are just discovering, rediscovering the world. So what happened to Paradise in, in this setting? How is Paradise different? How are all the, your NPCs different? And that's, that's going to take some time as well, where you're just improvising, re-meeting different people, recontextualizing things, because you have the memories. So when somebody asks, whatever, that poker game, what was it instead? Well, instead, it was an auto-duel. And you know, you, you, can you can talk about memories that we didn't play through, but that happened anyway. So just reliving those memories can also take up time. So you've banked another session. So in terms of, of just organizing play, you can spend time rediscovering a world, re-exploring a world, even through the memories of the characters. So that's useful to me in terms of how much planning you have to do with these things.
we should explain what AutoDuel as a setting is. So I've prepared a little thing here. First, people need to understand that the uh, the publisher of GURPS, Steve Jackson Games, had, back in 1980, come out with a war game called Car Wars. It seems like a pretty quick reaction to Mad Max. Actually, it predates Mad Max. The original was in a Ziploc bag version, and it cited an Alan Dean Foster story called Why Johnny Can't Speed, because he's going to crash into a tree is what's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was the prime inspiration, but of course, there was something in the air, because Mad Max, the movies soon came to America and were a big hit here as well. So it's all around the same time, some sort of car fetishism after the... In the collective consciousness of yeah, the after the society. gas bust or something, so uh, you can in the in that game, it's a war game. You controlled armed vehicles dueling in an arena, pushing chits around grid maps. Basically, it won the award for best science fiction board game in the 1981 Origin Awards, and uh, more elaborate editions and additional rules of all sorts, right, you know, for all sorts of vehicles, not just cars, started coming out. Steve Jackson Games even supported the game with its own trade magazine called AutoDuel Quarterly, of which I have a few issues. There was a video game, a card game, a comic book, novels, and plenty of supplements with the game falling out of favor in early 1990s, though I think you can still get the early 2000s attempt at a revival as a PDF at uh, E23, which is the Steve Jackson online resource. Now, in 1986, at the height of Car Wars popularity, they took all the background material they created for the war game and made a GURPS source book. For it, of course. It was the second ever original setting for GURPS. The first one was a, a fantasy setting. Uh, and it also won an Origins Award. And it was still popular enough to warrant a second edition in 1996, which is the book I used for our game. Basically, this is a setting 50 years in our future. Natural resources are severely depleted, and the United States government nationalizes oil production. This eventually leads to a second American Civil War, ending with the secession of the free oil states, which are Texas, Oklahoma, and Louisiana. Following famine in uh, various parts of the world, there are limited nuclear exchanges between the USSR, still in existence back then, and the US. <laughs> but anti-missile systems limit the resulting damage. After these wars, there are years of worldwide economic crisis and related global unrest, during which death sports become a popular form of entertainment. As things begin to recover, the organized sport of auto-dueling is born as a form of armed demolition derbies. The American Auto-Duel Association was formed to sponsor sporting events and up-and-coming auto-duelists. Technology has allowed for new vehicle designs, miniaturized weapon systems, and replacements for internal combustion engines. And furthermore, human cloning, together with Techniques for storing memories has made death only a minor setback for auto-duelists who can afford the procedure. And that's that's auto-dueling. So, I mean, they created for these source books, etc., a lot of towns, a lot of places in the world. And if you want to know what's happening in Canada or France or whatever in this setting, you have it there, even though originally it was just about pushing little flat, you know, cardboard cars around a, a grid pattern. That was the war game. Just like... D&D started out as a war game and just an outgrowth of what happens in between fights. That's basically what happened with Car Wars and the auto-duel setting. And I think it's pretty natural to transition from a Western to this. 
It was. You know what? I completely agree because it's about it's about Americana, but like a futuristic Americana, right? Where you're like fighting in a free world. Yeah, it's a it's a natural transition. Like cowboys are auto duelists. That makes a lot of sense, you know. And it's like a you know how they say like in the old west, it's like every man for himself. It's the same thing in a post apocalyptic America. It's, so the transition is actually quite smooth. Yeah, when you think of America, you think of guns and cars. So, <laughs> you know, well, not, not those two subjects. Guns and NASCAR, anymore. you're right. Guns and NASCAR. And, and, yeah. and actually, Auto Duel is actually guns in NASCAR. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. And it's also, it, it turns North America into a frontier where the towns are collapsed in on themselves. They've built walls around themselves. You know, of course, they've got the arenas and, and there is traffic between them, but it becomes, there is a no man's land and the government is kind of fractured. So it's kind of the same as in the Old West. You know, when I started thinking of Shift World, I already knew the first shift. Basically, you know, I had to know the first shift and this was it. So uh, I wanted it to be kind of close enough, but completely different so that you would know it's not the same thing, but uh, also have that same vibe, uh, which would make it easier for the characters to transition. And that was my thought. And that's why I picked Wyoming in the first place, I think, because I was looking through AutoDuel and looking at different places and what would be interesting I mean, I could have said it anywhere, but looking at the, the source book, it talks about every state, really, and what happens there. And I was sort of taken by their description of Wyoming in AutoDuel. And so I put Paradise in, in Wyoming in the Old West, just to, to keep the parallel. So that kind of came first as I was planning it. But let's talk about the characters and how you shift them basically uh, because I it's like I don't have a lot of notes about the campaigns but I have all the character sheets and all the, I have the crib sheets I've got like your math for some of these things on, and it's on... GURPS so there's a lot of info just in the character sheet to be honest it's true and uh, the way I had done it because uh, I still have all those copies is that I would take your character sheet and then it was all on a computer so I colored different parts of it gave you the sheet with the colored parts where something in red meant that doesn't work here anymore. And something yeah. in uh, blue or green or whatever it might mean, I suggest kind of modifying it, but you don't have to. And that, and then you had to go from there. So if we look at, uh, let's look at Willie J here, because it's the first one I've got. You know, that character who was a miner, a prospector, uh, was going to be turned into a mechanic for cars, which kept your... How do we say this? Your, your pr more practical engineering kind of ability, front and center. And so you, there's not a lot of red stuff on your sheet. Um, but basically, you know, you might have, uh, must brush his horse once a week was one of your quirks. Yeah. Well, that was changed, obviously. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, and the transition for that was easy to do. It must have been. Being a mechanic, the way to go was very obvious. Yeah, he decided instead that he would brush his car. Yeah, I tune up the car, actually. Tune up the car. It can't be washed, the car, because as we remember, no, I, the, the character was fearful of water, the contaminating nature of water. I didn't want to give my car cholera or something like that. So, Well, no, catch cholera from, from watching the car. <laughs> I mean, in AutoDuel, the infrastructure is not great. So you can't <laughs> no. necessarily trust the running water. What about you, Put? Was the, like you said earlier, like you went, I mean, you became... I'm not saying you weren't the hero of the story already, but you became the hero of the story because as a gambler, 
you were someone who played, you know, you're a player. And in AutoDuel, right. the play is auto-dueling. So if it's called GURPS Auto-Duel and you're suddenly an auto-duelist, then you're going to be the center of attention. Yeah, I think the transition for me was easy. It was like, well, my character makes money from playing games and that's the main money-making story in this setting. So obviously I'm going to be an auto-duelist. And what was fun for me was like trying to think about, because my character's strengths were all about his charisma, which is you know, transitions really easily into any setting. So that part was easy. But like his other skills were all dextri- like dexterity skills. So it was really about switching. It was as simple because like guns were still a thing, right? But so it was really, really basically all I had to do was switch gambling to driving, I think. <laughs> Whereas everything else is like firearms and like uh, being ambidextrous and, and uh, being good with um, sleight of hand. That was all still very useful. Well, you, we kept the gambling element because one of the things, I mean, if you're a sportsman, you know, putting money on your own matches, that's right. That's gambling. That's a, you know, a different thing. With a organized sport like auto dueling, I mean, obviously there's a lot of crime involved in the organized part of that sport. So I think it, it made sense to just keep my character as a gambler of the sport as well. And I mean, you were already in a subplot with a, an NPC called Oily Pete, who was... What a fortunate name. <laughs> well, Oily Pete, who apparently, from my notes, he only dealt with people who had nicknames. He couldn't trust anyone who didn't have a nickname. So your character was nicknamed Ace. The only reason that he talked to you, probably. Uh, but he was kind of a fixer, kind of a scum of the earth. And we'll talk about how you know his story kind of affected yours in, in that particular arena. The other character, the one played by Etienne, Johnny, had an unusual background. That was part of his character sheet. And he was really going to be the test for shift world and shifting and how it changed characters because that unusual background tends to be completely different from game to game. So in the Old West, he had been raised by, he had been split up from the family and he had been raised by natives and he had learned some indigenous magic, shamanistic magic. So he had this whole persona and world that was outside, contacts outside. Of course, that made no sense in Auto Duel. So it had to change. Instead, it really downgraded him because it, it made him be, well, first a, uh, a motorcyclist rather than a car warrior and a paladin, which was sort of like a peacekeeping force. He remained a cop because he was already a sheriff, but it made him a motorcycle guy, which isn't the same as having magic, you know, no. but in different games, that unusual background will always stay. And then we decide, what does that mean this time? And does he have magic powers this time? Does he have, what does he have? And he would change the most. I mean, in personality, never. But in terms of what the, the stats were, he would have like a plug-in of whatever the setting is. You know, a big plug-in of the setting in his character sheet. For what I remember, it was um, it was tougher for him to, to adapt. It, it took some skills from its end to just... You know, bring up that character well enough to to be to be adapted to the to auto duel. I think from- the idea behind Johnny's character was that whichever setting we would be in, he would be the outsider. Yeah. So like that was the major plug-in. Like he would be super into the world, but he would be like that secret secondary level that w- that every setting seems to have, right? Right. That's why he crashed. I mean, the whole world changed. So all the characters that we introduced, whether that's Oily Pete, which almost seems to work 
just as well with cars. But the villain, the love interest, the uh, I mean, this is the, this is the part of the story where we uh, we had just introduced a love interest for well whoever but <laughs> but uh Willie J had was taken by this um this Mexican girl called Lupita who had uh, secrets I'll say yeah. we don't know if she's good or if she's bad I mean she'd just been introduced and suddenly she's already in this new world and and may seem different but I also introduced new characters uh Johnny didn't have a a real contact outside the town yet uh, he got a character called Anti Mayhem which was actually based on a completely different character but a uh, different name anyways i don't just have grips auto duel i have obviously I had car wars but I also have a few of uh, the magazines and i've got a, a book called grips car warriors which was all stats for different characters in the auto duel universe so i just created her from character sheet in that book so we're still introducing characters And obviously, they had a life before that we don't know about in the other shift. The other thing that changed quite a lot, and I like your opinion on this because for me, I think it's the one that aged the most uh, badly, and it's the soundtrack. We talked about this last time. Everybody had a theme. There, you know, there was themes for action and chasing and whatever else we needed. But um, the soundtrack completely changed from the old west to this setting. Well, completely change? I don't know. Fred Alp is on both albums, and he's the star song in each of those albums, in my opinion. Okay. I remember on that soundtrack, we had a, a song called Roadkill. Uh, yeah, that one did not age well, in my opinion. <laughs> no, but still, it it adds some tones, you know, some country western tones in it. And it was for the transition, it was perfect to me. I remember that song quite well. Being yeah, it fits right. It fits. I think if you were to pick the soundtrack for this setting again today, I think the songs would be very different. Yes, I agree. I, I've got more driving songs. To bring out, but at the time, I was using a music library at the French CBC. So, you know, I was picking albums out of, like, CDs out of a, of a rack and trying to find something at work for the games. Today, I've got, you know, the whole of YouTube and Spotify and, you know, all music ever is available to me, basically. So I would probably make some very, very different choices. Mostly, it was surf. Hip-hop. From Training Day, yeah, the Training Day soundtrack. It's probably the stuff that I would uh, I would change. I would probably streamline it a little bit. But uh, the idea was to have the music that sounded a little more violent, but also the cruising tunes. You know, the surfy music that that we hear in like Pulp Fiction and that kind of. Which fits perfectly with Wyoming. <laughs> well, I, well, yes, uh, not really, but the uh, but exactly. See, so it wasn't quite exact. So on that album that I gave you with there were. The first two shifts were on the same disc, and that's the weaker part, I think, of of that record. Yeah, but, but, although I do have fond memories of like the Days of Thunder song in there. I think that one still sounds kind of cool. Thunderbox, yeah, Thunderbox, yeah, yeah, by uh, Apollo Smile. Do it. That one might have been ahead of its time, like lead female singer. It was good chick rock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if... Was I a genius? Because... <laughs> no, no, but I know I'm going to do a, uh, a soundtrack. And I purposefully 
introduce a love interest who is a singer. And so she's always going to be there, either alone or with a band. And I know originally I'm just doing, it's Tombstone. It's the Dana Delaney character in Tombstone who comes to town. That's, I know that's my inspiration. But then it turns out that it gets me another, an extra song on every album. On every soundtrack, I get to put some sort of a female voice in there. And she's got her own song that I think that was kind of part of why Ace was falling in love with her is because she was musical and it's like looking at her on stage and she's iconic. Uh, And like in this reality, she's got the electric guitar and (laughs) it's a completely different performance. But I I don't know. It sort of worked out well. I don't think I did it on purpose. Yeah, he's into her because she's so cool. And, and there was a train of thoughts. I remember you were using uh, the band WD-40, you know, for boat shifts, for, I believe, for uh, Willie J. So that also... And people are not going to know what we're talking about at no. all, because these are a lot of this music is Canadian or even from Quebec or French. Fred yeah, Alpi Fred is, is like the um, Johnny Cash of France. Yes, and, and not even that. I mean, not. I mean, he's more indie than that. So I yeah. realize people don't know, but... On the website at fireandwaterpodcast.com, I'm going to put not only the character sheets and whatever other materials I care to put uh, down there in the image gallery, but also a link to a YouTube playlist where the songs that we use will be there. So Expand your horizons. <laughs> yeah, culture. We say five minutes after we said this music has aged so bad. No, but, yeah, but still. It- it, it's not that the music's aged badly. I think it's more of a, well, now I would make different choices. Like, I feel my my musical canon was too narrow, like, 20 years ago, to do this justice. Like, today, Autoduel would sound so much cooler. Yeah, but it's a stamp of what the time was and where we were in our lives. You know, at that time, you know, alternative rock music in Quebec was something. Yes. It was all over, actually. It didn't last long because it's was not that good but still no i think it was that good i think well, it, it, I, I think there was like that that indie music in quebec and france at the time was some of the most interesting music that i was listening to at the time of course i'm kind of biased because i was producing a uh, national show at the cbc that featured that music every week but really, i was like, also on the radio and i was uh, you know directly influenced by what you were doing at the time because the you know the the audience was quite the same. I don't think, Mike, that it's that your musical knowledge was too narrow. I think the culture around post-apocalyptic settings has evolved in and of itself ah. since the past 20, 30 years. I think the reason why you would pick different music today is because everybody would pick different music today for yeah, that setting. Of I think the culture for that setting has evolved. I think it's yeah. more synth-wavy maybe now, cyberpunky maybe. I don't know. Let's call it the Spotify effect. <laughs> Stop forgiving me. Okay, so what do you remember of the story and setting? Actually, like you know how we mentioned last time that we could probably do Old West for a long time? I kind of feel that way about Auto Duel too. I thought it was a lot of fun Well, maybe because it's basically a future Old West, right? But um, what I remember from the story, first of all, the the first few sessions was all about discovering how the characters we knew and the settings we knew were now so different. And just we were obsessed with trying to figure out what was going on. Like our characters did not understand what this shift was. And it was a lot of also like 
trying to entangle or detangle maybe the memories that were going on in our head because we had basically suddenly instantly two lives inside of our consciousness and it, i remember certain events that i thought was were really fun where we had like a drinking contest because as i think one of um willie j's quirks now was that he could not refuse a drinking contest and right. i was a light drinker if i remember correctly so i remember we had like a drinking contest and i ended up really drunk and the way I played being drunk as a shifter was that I was getting confused about which setting oh. I was in. So like I was coming out of the bar looking for my horse, for instance. And I mean, my horse and my car both had the same name, right? So there's like a conceptual link there between the two that my character was making. And he was having a hard time keeping focus on everything. So I thought that was a that was a really fun part for me. And just like visiting doctors and other characters and seeing what they were like now and like trying to understand who also realized we shifted was it just the brothers was there anybody else and it looked like it was just the brothers so mm -hmm. there was a lot of investigating around that at the start and you had to drink because you you remember that your name was still virgil always a source of misery <laughs> yeah <laughs> now you i remember this now that you mention it uh but it was very clever of you you see see sometimes the scenes are completely driven by the players it doesn't have to be i'm almost not there in that story as a game master i remember also that uh my garage was kind of transforming to some kind of headquarters even though i was a loner since i was the mechanic both brothers would come to my place and and we would meet up there to figure out our next move yeah it's a good point because when there's a shift something changes it brought us together yeah yeah well not only the mystery and trying to, to solve that mystery but just like the circumstances are slightly different and that allows for scenes that would not have been able to happen in the other reality the focus on certain things kind of disappears because they don't exist anymore. And that's going to change our perspe perception of the campaign over time. But not here. Here, the, I think that there was like a real one-to-one -one on most of the elements that we'd set up in the first part. In that shift, I remember that uh, Willie J opened up a little more. Maybe it was, you know, I was getting more used to the character and everything. And, and uh, um, you know, the... the He was trying to reach out more to, to other people, even though he was ugly and smelly. And um, he, he break out a little bit of his old habits just to be part of the group. I, I remember that, trying to do the extra step to hence Lupita. And I remember that, that improv moment where I just called the phone line and I had conversation that made me about car parts or something. That was... Yeah, Very I was funny. thinking about that two minutes ago where I isn't there like a whole 30 minute conversation yeah. between like Willie J and somebody on the other side of a phone line. And it's like it wasn't an important plot point at all. It was like Not you were talking to a telemarketer or something yeah. for like half an hour. I, I don't know why we get into these parentheses. <laughs> well, that's the improv part of our, uh, <laughs> you know, sideline. <laughs> that that's one side effect, and it sidetracked a little bit of the whole session. But it was so I remembered. It, it's one of my most fond memories of Auto Duel. I love that part. You know, it was <laughs> just fun, and the fact that 
you know, as a GM, you were into it and you were letting it go, you know. I'm surprised. Uh, you know, I don't remember it. So, first of all, but I'm surprised in the sense that, I mean, as long as it's entertaining and it's okay for everyone, then it's not a problem. You know, you want to cut short what, what is not interesting for the whole of the table, but lean in when it's, you know, entertaining for people. So, I guess that was that was the case. Um, because for me, like the uh, auto duel experience, whatever it was, was a time where I felt there was an attachment to certain NPCs already at that point, and it was time to put them in danger. You know, that's what I remember is is uh, almost killing the um, the love interest, the, the the singer. She went to hospital, and um, I remember put being very worried for this NPC. And then also the, the villain, Jeremiah Dark, who's like the main villain, is killed in a car crash. There's a, like, at the arena, a car spins out and hits the his booth, and he's killed, but he's immediately cloned because he's so rich. So uh, that was just like a fake out. Yeah, this was the shift where Jeremiah Dark as the main villain was really established, I think. Yeah. I think there was a lot of what if, is it really him? Maybe during the Old West shift. But like the, in the auto-duel shift, I don't remember exactly what happened that made us go, oh, he's definitely the bad guy. But we knew at that point, like, he's going to be the main villain and there's nothing good about this guy. He might make himself seem like he's a good guy and he's a community man, but he's definitely the bad guy. And in, in terms of, like, um, Ace's character development, this is also the shift where Ace turned from not caring about anyone except his brother and starting to actually care for somebody else. Like um, Simone Lorquet was no longer just like another chick, you know, she was, he was actually developing feelings for her. Um, And so it was like his first time actually caring for somebody else. So it was an important shift for sure, character development wise. Definitely, definitely. We got purpose. (laughs) And of course, like the big thing, which was also something that, that took up a lot of time in sessions is that I had the Car Wars box, so I needed to use it, part of my obsession. And I, I'd wanted to play Car Wars way back. I'd bought the box, like, secondhand. And it was, so it was already opened, and all the chits, all the little cars had been cut out, and etc. But at some point, I wanted to play it, and I remember, this is earlier, in, like, in the 90s, I remember taking some maps from the uh, AutoDuel Quarterly. There was always like a new arena map. Some of them uh, we didn't get to use at all. Like there's one with a volcano in the middle. But (laughs) I don't think we used that one. (laughs) Then I used graph paper and I blew those up. I wanted them not not to work with the chits, but work with Hot Wheels. And I started buying some Hot Wheel cars, you know, Matchbox and Hot Wheels, randomly, just to have like a few little cars like that. And so I made it to scale with Hot Wheels. Which meant the maps are huge. No table was ever big enough. No, no. So you had to play on the floor. So I, I didn't play at that time. It's just one of those things where you're really excited about a game or something, and and you're doing all making all these plans, and then not you, you actually don't know anyone who wants to play with you. So porting that in was probably you know AutoDuel was probably of interest because oh I can finally pull out those maps. So those maps were already many years old, the ones that I'd made. And uh, so we grabbed some of the Hot Wheels, and I'm sure we played with actual little cars, didn't we? I'm not sure. My memory was paper cutouts, actually. If so, the arenas were way too big. Maybe that that was the thing. Maybe the the arenas were gigantic. But I remember, you know, cutouts of paper maps and, and cars. 
but no actual toys. Okay. I'm not 100% sure. That's no, just like my memory. It's, it's easy for me also. Yeah. I think you're right. The cars were tiny inside those arenas. It made like the arenas were much bigger than they would have been as planned in the magazines or the idea is just that you're gonna anyway be driving and sliding and there were rules for all of this stuff where did you have line of sight because each round in a car wars duel is like a split second basically so in in, in within one second you're driving and you're shooting and whatever you have line of sight with and all the weapons as you've got and and i remember like we did i think lupita was probably a an auto duelist as well like a Yes, she was. Yeah. yeah. And so we created like these different guys. And uh, as far as the story goes, Oily Pete came in to kind of fix the fight. You had like a Marcellus Wallace moment. Mm-hmm. That's pride. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, trying, making you, trying to make you take a fall, basically, was part of it, which really created a lot of uh, enmity between you and that character. Right, because I think Ace at that moment, like before that scene happened where he was asked to take a fall, I think Ace had already hyped himself out to the idea that this would be his chance maybe to impress Simone Lorquet because he knew she, she would be at the race. Yeah. And so yeah. I think he built up the idea that he would win this to show off to her. And then Oily Pete shows up and tells him to take the fall and he just doesn't want to. And it was I out of vanity without, also. Yeah, I think without Simon Lockett, maybe he might have done it because he didn't really care about anything and he was all about gambling and making money anyways. Yeah, but Virgil was a show-off also. Yes. So he wanted to win. I think you mean ace, but yes. Do <laughs> <laughs> you think there's value? I mean, I've, uh, I'm going to talk about this in the advice column at the end of the show, but do you think there's value in bringing in suddenly break out a different game and like take a break from the role playing. Well, there's still the role playing all throughout, right? We were just weaving in and out of the role playing element of it. But to break out a different game with different rules, you think this has value around the table? I remember it was some some kind of exciting moment because it was totally different. It was not you know a fighting scene that we usually see in uh, tabletop role playing. You know, it was an event. Being that in our situation. I believe it's totally something that will bring out fun and change out of the ordinary. Well, I'm somebody who absolutely loves board games. So, yes, if we're taking out a new game or a board game or something during an RPG, I am going to have a lot of fun. But also what I think is interesting is the idea that since you're playing this board game in the context of playing a different character, is that going to change the way you're going to play the board game? Uh Because I feel like maybe it does. I think like if I'm playing as Daniel, I'm not necessarily going to use the same strategy or same moves as if I'm driving the car as Ace. I think he's going to be more careless with his strategy. I have to agree with that. I have to agree with that. That's an, and also, yeah. it's just fun to take out like, uh, you know, some some miniatures and stuff that might be representations of something that you're just imagining in your mind f- for a few sessions before that. You know, I think you see that now a lot with a, a lot of live play tabletop RPG shows where they'll suddenly do a battle with miniatures. Like they don't do theater of their mind as much anymore, especially on the TV shows where they do tabletop. So, yeah, I think I think it's just natural for us to want to see little physical representations of stuff we're actually doing. It's fun. Well, in this case, the setting actually came from the war game first, so it it felt right to actually bring in that element. And I I wonder if just fighting with GURPS rules 
a card dueling with just GURPS rules would have been as satisfying. I mean, it would have worked. There's no, really no problem. But this made it a little more, I don't know, physics, um, you know, simulation, because the Car Wars rules have all this stuff where the tires actually do shear and uh, there's, there's a lot going on and you've got stats like we've got stats here. I'll put them on the site, but we got stats for every vehicle that we're using. You know, it's not just you. You've got there. How much armor plating is it all around it? Yeah. And in the war game, that's really important. In an RPG fight, we might just fudge a lot of it. So it just got it down to very some very technical elements that were true to the setting, I think, because the setting wants to be very techy. You know, the setting wants to be Metal Gear. You know, it's kind of- you say that, and and in my mind, back in the day, and still true to me today, I was a huge Knight Rider fan. Oh, all right. And, and having you know a car, you know, with gadgets on, just can so it wasn't oil. because of Hasselhoff. It was the car. Okay. It was all. It's always because of the car. You know, okay. Uh, <laughs> Hasselhoff, he's fine, but. <laughs> yeah, but the car itself, you know, with all this equipment, and I had six wheels on mine, which was very, uh, very badass, very uh, cyberpunk. I think also another thing that is good about bringing out a war game or a board game inside of a role playing, especially if you're playing with players who are more about the storyline, the narrative, and don't really care about the rolling part or the rules part of tabletop RPGs. Like if you're playing a lot in theater of the mind and fudging a lot of the stuff for the role-playing part, bringing out a board game and saying, okay, this is a different game. There are actual rules we have to follow kind of forces the players to use a different frame of mind as well and and actually approach the game with like, oh, okay, now we're going to do the rules thing. Now, now we're playing a game. Because I've had players who have indulged so much in theater of the mind that they then become a little uncontrolled where even when roles are imposed and there should be a little more structure suddenly they go way off and you're you're thinking well that's entertaining but also you know we're not sitting around a campfire with you telling the story there's got to be a little more structure here or else it's it's kind of chaos and uh, and this sort of resets maybe that that impulse. Yeah, I, I think it was the the perfect setup actually to balance things. We as players were very you know improv driven. Putting that element and you know having it have an influence on where the story goes, but still playing a game within the game was just you know outright balancing everything and making sure we we would stay on focus because while we were doing that duel. We were focused on the duel. Even though there's stuff happening outside. Yeah. You know, because not every character is in the arena. We've got an auto duelist, but, you know, generally. And then, of course, you can play with that where, oh, oh, oh no, somebody's on the on the racetrack that shouldn't be there. And, okay, Etienne can jump on his bike and, and race into the arena where he's not supposed to. And, you know, you're playing with a movie. You don't have to stick to any real rules in the sense that of the scenario that the war game tries to to set up in the first place. This is the second chapter of our Shift World story. This is more or less what we remember of it. And we'll come back to it in due time. Uh, maybe, maybe next time we'll do two or three shifts and look at how these archetypes actually evolve from one setting to the other. Because 
uh, as we've said, like put decided to make a gambler who then, well, actually, what is the archetype? The archetype isn't gambler. The archetype is the rogue. Yeah. yeah, it's the very charismatic bad boy. Right. So whatever happens, that's the role he's going to play. And with Willie J, Beb, you were playing the the opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was uh, I was the uh, God fearing mama's boy, but also mechanically inclined. So yeah, yeah, I think that's the archetype. Like those are archetypes in RPGs where the the bad boy, uh, the rogue, you could imagine that in a, f- a future shift or something, puts character Ace could have become a thief. You know, he was a rogue in the D&D sense. And there's always that kind of character, the sort of trench coat wearing, shit grin eating, you know, character. Uh, your character was the mechanically inclined, but sort of in his own bubble, savant almost character. Yeah. There's always going to be a call for a more mechanically inclined character, well, at least in most campaigns. And then with Etienne's character, Johnny, he was the valorous, the knightly, like here, the, it, it just so happened in the resources that the uh, motorcycle club was called the Paladins, which was perfect for him because he was this, you know, this yeah. knightly noble kind of character. But he was always going to be the outsider who was too noble for this world is basically his shtick. And no matter what, that was going to be what was happening, no matter what setting. And always raised by a forgotten culture as well. Right, which would be a way into whatever setting and giving us a little more texture. And mm-hmm. we'll always have that. And then eventually, the big spoiler here, but Beb eventually had to leave the campaign and we got another player. And yep. uh, Sly was uh, going to bring in a, a fourth kind of character. The future for this campaign, obviously, we played for uh, a while and we've probably got a couple episodes of Juice to bring to you over the next year in Shift World. But also, we've been talking about bringing it back. Definitely. Lots of talking. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. My, um, <laughs> How many of those source books have you not had a chance to try yet, Mike? Um, many. Hundred, probably. But Okay, I'm just saying. Yeah. No, I, we've had the talk. <laughs> we, we've talked to the other two players. And they're in if we're going to do it. Uh, or at least nominally in. So all four characters who have not never played together, all four have never been together because one character replaced yours, yeah. Bebeth. But everybody seems to be in, to my surprise, to my certain surprise, because some of these people I haven't talked to in years. It's just a matter of, for me, figuring out how long this should run to make it feel complete and then what to do with it. I've got like the first chapter sort of mapped out. Ooh, the only big news. Yes, the only thing that's that's missing is I, I've had like a, a really, <laughs> a really complicated uh, schedule over the first half of this year. So it's just not been you know anytime I've got free time, I just want to kind of rest because I you know I know I have like the next contract coming up. Anyway, you don't need to know about my life, but... <laughs> <laughs> but it's called life. This is just a typical so, story of any RPG group anyway. Yes. Yeah. And of course, a lot of that is incumbent on the game master. If the game master doesn't have the time to prepare, it becomes difficult. And one of the things that is a big loss to me is that we're, I don't know, four or five computers later, and I don't have those character sheets anymore. So I have to start from scratch if I want to get that back together. 
I have like the paper. Yes, paper. but you also have the advantage of new software that yeah. makes it easier. Probably. I'll pitch it out there just to be interactive and everything because I know we got comments after uh, every podcast and those are nice to read actually. GURPS fans, maybe try to influence Mike on his next choices, you know, because there's so many modules. Which ones would you like to see us? try on for shift world what, what gerbs module or environment you want us to play in could be fun actually to be uh to be driven by suggestions also oh uh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean yes and put more pressure on you no yes do that and in like in a couple of years we can do an episode about it and uh, you can have your name in lights but uh, it's also don't forget to like and subscribe. Yeah, exactly. But it, I mean, it's also a, fa- a fact that I've already got some favorites. I've already asked the players if there's anything that they would like, and I. But also, how long is this going to run before we get to a finale? How many shifts can it actually be, and still be that still makes sense? In the schedules of everyone. At least enough for you to actually figure out why we're shifting. <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll see how that plays out. And that's more what I'm looking at. So people can look forward to more of GURPS discussions in the future. But in any case, we haven't talked about, I don't know, six other shifts, I think. There's plenty more to talk about. This is the first time in so many years, because the last time I played tabletop, RPG was like five years ago with my my old friends and talking about bring back shift world just I even bought dice for my my oldest one because I want her to be into tabletops role playing and she likes it it just renew you know the the whole fire within it was fun to have that discussion so so having it just a thought of this maybe happening it's just so much fun Come here, my child, and let me speak to you of a time we called Shift World. Oh, well. Well, that was GURPS Auto Duel. Uh, I want to thank my guests, Ace and Willie, or as they are sometimes known, Put and Beb. <laughs> and I'll uh, let you go back to the garage, your various garages. Thanks for uh, having us. Bye, yes, everyone. It was very fun. And I'll be back after the break with Game Master Advice and your feedback on our previous episode. Thanks, boys. The time is out of joy. The time... Is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The year is 1994 or 1944 or maybe 2994. Time is under threat and history is falling apart. Who will survive this crisis and how will history be changed for those that do? Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story. Issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in, as the DC Universe goes down to zero. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, Zero Hour Strikes, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Legion. If I were Dungeon Master, I'd have it made. What an interesting proposition. Very well, I shall give you all my power to use as you will. Today we're going to talk about putting games in other games. So obviously this is something I like to do in my role-playing sessions, using non-RPGs as part of the RPGs, because gamers, after all, are gamers. And if they like role-playing games, there's a good chance that, like Dan in, in this episode, they might also enjoy war games, board games, card games, whatever. If not as a regular activity, then at least the once. Here are some 
really examples called from my various gaming experiences. Uh, in an in nominee game, uh, for example, I had a big climax with some sewer spirits that entailed playing chess with a hive mind. But chess is much too long of a game, and it's also a one-on-one -on -one thing, which doesn't work at the table, so I tweaked the rules to make it more fantasy-ish and unusual and played up the complexity available to that collective mind that was the antagonist. Four fronts on the board and each of three players making moves in a four-way battle against the one opponent. And of course, I got smoked, of course. Uh, then there are games that can be played as is, as well. Uh, in the GURPS Vikings game, which I guess we'll talk about much later in this run, the fate of the hall rested on a game of Hufafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafaf
might be a lot more visual on your Xbox. But it's harder to fit in what the character's abilities are, because really the ability is the video gamer's ability rather than anything. And you can't cheat it in the way that you could at the table. And I once wanted to start an Illuminati type game, a conspiracy game with the players as secret masters setting up the initial conspiracies with New World Order, the CCG. And that would have been interesting. Uh, And then the players become pawns in this game, but they've set up the original conspiracy themselves. Uh, The Game of Life, which is a, you know, a Milton Bradley classic, but replaces all the text for character generation. I have thought about it. You know, what, what would that be like to create a character based on, you know, riding your little car through life and making choices that way. It's sort of a strange takeoff on on the traveler system of, of character generation. Well, that's me, because I just can't stand to have all this junk in my house and not use it. So if I have a board game or a card game or anything like that, can it be fit into a role-playing situation? If it can, you'll see me attempt to do it. And this is one of the challenges, I got to say, about the COVID environment or or even now that we're playing more online with people that are far away from us because everybody's set up that way anyways. There's a theatricality to just dumping a box on the table and saying, bam, we're playing this now. And people go, ooh, and it's very visual. So you can't do that as easily online. And uh, that's something that I, as a game master, have to resolve in terms of my style and what I like to bring to the table. And now comments from our previous episode, uh, which was about the uh, superhero comedy game, Superpowers, with my guest was uh, one of the designers, Steve Ellis. There was some traction on uh, on Twitter this time. Some of the other designers chimed in. So Ryan Dunlavey said, this is so cool. I love that they use the character sheets. I mean, I don't know how else I would have. If you play a game, you're going to use the sheets. He says, Superpowers is an RPG I helped bring to life along with uh, all these other fine folks and some other pals more than 20 years ago. And people still play it. Carsonating Sidekick said, I ran a one-shot of this late last year, and it was a hoot good stuff. And, um... Also designer Fred Van Lenti said, This is our legacy. I think his legacy is a lot bigger than that, but uh, I'm glad that's part of it. Now on the Fire & Water Podcast Network website, we have Brian Linton saying, Nice, I would certainly be interested in a fun, low-commitment, mystery men-style game like this. Listening to the two of you describe superpowers, I thought The Tick would be another superhero property that would translate well into this game. That's very true. In particular, I'm thinking of being able to make a PC like my favorite character from the animated series, Sewer Urchin. I also enjoyed your advice for starting GMs. I know the mistake I made introducing my daughter to D&D a few months ago is that I didn't choose a simple one-shot adventure for our first session. Also, something I'd recommend when looking for an RPG system to play is that some games offer a stripped-down basic rule set that you can get for free or real cheap, which you can use to try out the game. If you like the system, you can buy the full game and add complexity as you and your group like. That's very true, and um, you know, usually I'll be flipping through GURPS Lite rather than the actual Big Gerbs book, you know, for my purposes. Daniel Ouellette, who was just on this show, put, says, sounds like our group of players would get along very well with Steve's. We love the same aspects of RPGs. And Bang Dana says, lots of fun, Siskoid. It was great to hear from Steve and the fun you guys had with this funny RPG. I've really been enjoying your tips 
for starting GMs and DMs, I've really taken to heart on trying to involve my players more, once again, they're my kids, when doing certain actions. Sure, they still just want to swing an axe, but I get them to describe it a bit more and try to yes-and them, so it creates a little story with each action. Now they want to run up, jump on the table, pirouette, and then cleave an enemy's skull. I've never been more proud as a parent. Also, your tip of if you don't know a rule quickly, make it up and move along is a fantastic one. The players, having fun is the most important part of the game. The rules are just there to help you have fun. I know firsthand what it's like to start pouring over the player's handbook to see my players start getting bored because they just want the action, action, action. Hmm, there's no specific rule about trying to befriend wolves attacking you so you can have them as pets and then attack the goblins? Maybe it's in the skills section. And this is an actual quote from one of his games. He says, thanks again for an entertaining show. I can't wait to see what game is up next. Keep up the great work. Well, you've seen what's up next. What's up next from this point is actually a game I've never played. So check back in in a couple months. If I may say, the Fire & Water Podcast Network has a Patreon page at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. If you like this content, want more like it, think about leaving a one-time or monthly donation. Let me also remind you that you too can leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com, on the Fire & Water Facebook page, or on Twitter, where we are FW Podcasts. So, until the next episode, let's roll! Let's roll!